Thank you for joining Inside the Room with myself, State Representative Brandon McGee, where we discuss politics, leadership, and culture. Y'all, it's been two weeks since the Biden administration has launched all of these different types of executive orders. But what thing, one thing that we do know is that the Biden-Harris administration has continued to make headway in addressing the inequalities that exist in the system. Uh, we also know that they've been directing their efforts to create uniform policy that enables resources or access to resources for many of our communities. In this episode, episode four, we will continue to hone in on efforts made by the administration uh, in raising equitable standards among marginalized populations within the first 100 days. We will also unpack uh, what happened with GameStop, all right? I'm gonna break it down. Uh, so while I'm breaking it down for you, <laughs> I'll also be breaking it down for myself. I learned a lot about what happened, so stay tuned. So join me in gathering people from all walks of life to step inside the room in efforts to gain perspective on how we can educate and uplift our communities. I will always seek to preference our discussions with a quote or a phrase similar to what I've done when we started off uh, our episodes with President Biden speaking on unity we talked a little bit about Amanda, the young lady who spoke at the inauguration. Uh, and uh, a few weeks ago, or rather just last week, we talked a little bit about uh, Kamala Harris and some others. And this week, I want to talk or share a quote, a very important quote that was shared by uh, the very, very prolific uh, Malcolm X. And I quote, and again, it's one that I feel that is extremely poignant for tonight's or whenever you view this episode. Um, and again, I quote, If you stick a knife in my back nine inches and pull it out six inches, there's no progress. If you pull it all the way out, that's not progress. The progress is healing the wound that the blow made and they won't even admit the knife is there end quote by malcolm x so in other words for those of you who are really understanding why i thought that quote really reflects and highlights the essence the crux of tonight's conversation or whenever you view this i am seeking uh to encourage the powers that be folks who manage our system to acknowledge, that's me too, I'm an elected official, to acknowledge what the issue is and create intentional policies that direct or that directly resolves the root of the problem. Gotta be intentional. We gotta get at the root of what it is that we're talking about. And so I honor Malcolm X on this evening in other words, six inches deep. <laughs> but we also have to sustain an eight-inch eight wound. Let that sit a little bit. So one of the things that I, I think uh, as we continue to figure out um, where we stand as a people and as we continue to create this space and time inside the room 
Um, I want you to know that Biden, President Biden, has recently signed four executive orders focused on equity uh, and inclusion and diversity. And I kind of want to highlight a few of those and then drive right into the importance of those executive orders and then kind of end off on GameStop and, and, and learn a little bit about that uh, and then highlight a precious soul who paved the way for so many of us, uh, so many actresses and actors, if you would, um, Mrs. Cicely Tyson. Uh, and so we'll talk a little bit about her. But back to the executive order. The administration directed the Department of Housing and Urban Development to take steps necessary to redress racially discriminatory federal housing policies. Now that's really loaded, so let me just kind of bring it home. As chair of Connecticut's housing committee within the legislature, we have worked diligently to develop policies and tap into various avenues to ensure affordable housing here in the state of Connecticut. Affordable and safe housing here in the state of Connecticut. Um, this has included the extension of the eviction moratorium and the establishment of the rental uh, assistance program, which um, is basically called the TRAP program, uh, the Temporary Rental Assistance uh, Program here in the state of Connecticut. It might be called something else throughout uh, other states uh, throughout, this, um, throughout the country. Uh, so I just think it's important that you all know that there are resources available, okay? Uh, in the state of Connecticut, we will see somewhere around $236 million in funding around housing, right? So that's a large number, but just think about how big the issue is and how many of our folks are in need of support during the pandemic. But you and I know it doesn't stop there as we work toward addressing racially discriminatory federal housing policies, we must begin to acknowledge the barriers that individuals and families face throughout their housing search. I would be remiss if I did not insert the importance of supporting our homeowners, our landlords, individuals who have to pay their rent. Um, those folks have been impacted a great deal as well. Um, so this also entails one's eviction and credit history. Uh, so you'll notice within the state of Connecticut, um, I've submitted uh, a proposed bill uh, that will talk about the eviction credit history. We all know that there will be an increase of evictions that will happen post the eviction moratorium. All right. When that thing is lifted, there will be so many people who had never experienced an eviction, but because of job loss or not having enough money to pay their rent or they've just fallen behind on bills, they will experience, unfortunately, eviction. But those same people will need to find housing at some point and they should not be held hostage by, you know, what they could not control. Right. So we want to put in some proposed legislation that would support individuals who are in need of that type of protection. 
I also think um, as we kind of get away from the Connecticut uh, policies and, and, and politics, I want to bring you back up to the national level. Um, the administration also reaffirmed the federal government's commitment to the tribal sovereignty in uh, consultation and combat um, xenophobia against Asian American and Pacific Islanders. That's extremely important. Uh, the administration also directed the Department of Justice to end its use of private prisons. What does that mean? What does that mean? That simply means uh, if we were to really reflect on the previous administration, all right, so during uh, President Trump's administration, they literally doubled private prison uh, revenues. All right. So according to the courthouse news service, and I'm just reading what I read there in just one example, in 2019, the federal government spent nearly six hundred million dollars on GEO Group. All right. That was a name of a company, a private company that owned a private prison. And that was all for profit. All right. Operating correction, correctional facilities compared to the two hundred and sixty million dollars spent in twenty fourteen during the Obama administration. There was a lot of money made, y'all, during the Trump administration around housing black and brown people within these private correctional facilities. Also, in twenty sixteen, there was a report by Geo uh, Geo. DOJ's, that's the Department of Justice office, of the Inspector General that found that private prisons incurred more safety and security incidents per capita than comparable to federal institutions, resulting in President Biden basically signing an executive order directing DOJ, Department of Justice, not to renew its contracts with private prisons effectively returning to an Obama era policy that had been overturned by number 45, that is Donald J. Trump. So while Biden's order will affect the 11 private prisons currently under contract by the Department of Justice, as well as the larger private uh, prison industry, it will not actually uh, free people or anybody housed therein uh, and only uh, impacts a small slice of the U.S. prison population. So there's a lot of work to be done, but I do applaud this administration to at least get back to where we left off so that we can continue the work that the Obama uh, administration uh, was trying to accomplish uh, with respect to undoing this very um, system that continues to house black and brown people. So despite the long history of slavery in America and its abolishment in 1865, this private sector closely resembles the involuntary servitude represented throughout the American history, uh, which does not create an atmosphere aimed at rehabilitation, but rather instructed to keep black and brown bodies in prison at a disproportionate rate. 
So I can talk on and on about the importance of eradicating the entire system, but we do know that there is a need for, for some form of rehabilitation, uh, but in a very genuine and authentic way. Right now, we're housing people just to house them, meet a quota, and to make money. Biden's order, uh, again, only addresses private prisons under contract with GO, uh, DOJ. Uh, not, it does not facilitate uh, 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 those contracts by the U.S. Immigration and Customs, which is affectionately called ICE. So that's Immigration and Customs Enforcement, all right, ICE, in the Department of Homeland Security. The use of such facilities by the federal government grew under the Trump administration. Y'all know about all of that. You've seen the gruesome pictures of young people literally in cages, okay, families being torn apart because of the previous administration. Um, ICE detained on average about 50,000 people a day, every day. And, and, and at points over 56,000 people a day according to a 2020 ACLU report. States will also be free to continue con uh, contracting with private prisons with which held roughly 88,000 500 prisoners or 7% of the state's total population at the end of 2019. A lot of numbers to share. In essence, this administration is seeking to treat people as humans, all right? Whether they committed a crime or not, they're still humans. And we have to figure out within the United States of America, within our Department of Justice, how to help to rehabilitate people. And so I applaud this administration, the president directing his folks who manage these departments to take more of an equitable approach to reforming the system on all levels. Uh, so I'm really excited about that. So let's talk a little bit about uh, GameStop. Um, I know many of you like me. I'm looking at the news and I'm like, okay, is this an opportunity for me to make money? Like I saw this this guy, he looked like a really young guy and seemed like he was a novice um, to the entire conversation. I think it was his first time that he had ever um, traded or downloaded an app called Robinhood. Like there was a lot, all right? And I wanna unpack this thing for you so that we're all on the same page, okay? So at the heart of the GameStop uh, saga is a struggle between two very drastically different groups of investors. Stay with me. A band of uh, amateur day traders versus a Wall Street uh, pro known as short seller or pros known as short sellers. The mission of the Reddit army has two main goals and we'll learn more about Reddit and what that means. But Reddit is basically a social media platform where a lot of these folks kind of came together uh, to do what they did. All right. But the two main goals were to drive up stock prices to score profits for themselves and at the same time force the establishment investors to abandon uh, bearish bets against struggling companies such as GameStop, AMC, y'all know like, I think that's the movie, the movie folks, uh, Macy's, some of y'all shot that Macy's, y'all know, and several others, okay? So that, th those were the two main goals, all right, of the mission uh, of the Reddit 
army. But what initiated uh, this GameStop uh, rally, you might be asking yourselves. The group noticed that GameStop, the struggling brick and mortar video game retailer, uh, here in Connecticut, y'all know Buckley Hills Mall, West Farms, all these other malls, and maybe somewhere throughout the country or in your state, y'all had a GameStop. All of my gamers, they know. But the struggling brick and mortar video game retailer was heavily shorted by hedge funds. All right. The consensus on Wall Street seemed to be that GameStop would soon go away similar to blockbuster now i know many of my young people who are watching and like yo b state rep you're cool but what's blockbuster there was a time in the day y'all where we didn't have netflix we actually had to go to the store i still have my little card it was blue it's blue and yellow if i'm not mistaken with my name at the bottom and i would go to get a vhs or a cd of my favorite movie and I would rent it similar to what you would do at the library right very antiquated but that was blockbusters so folks thought they were going out of business you got it y'all keeping up come closer come closer all right so the reddit investors took a different view from the short sellers however and uh uh Actually, let me, let me just reread that so we all kind of stand with each other. The Reddit investors, they took a different view from the short sellers, however, and began buying up shares of the company that they believed were undervalued. All right, you getting it a little bit? So why the big blow up? Why, you know, there was like a flurry of news regarding GameStop? GameStop's stock rose a little less than 13%. That's about three dollars um but this wasn't a normal momentary stock surge all right this was not normal at all the surge ultimately had little or nothing to do with the game stop strength as a business as investors following the reddit group bought a ton of GameStop options short sellers were forced to buy shares to cover their losing bids thus boosting the share price even further all right pause make sure y'all still with me don't leave the room please stay in the room this it gets it gets better this is what's known as a short squeeze all right so the robin hood backlash the app that many of us downloaded on our phones because we thought we were cute i have one as well i just didn't i didn't trade in enough time to get what we're talking about so on Thursday morning of last week, citing extreme vol vi uh, volatility, the free trading app favored by millions of amateur investors, me, suspended trading of the red hot Reddit darlings. That left the Wall Street bets crowd with just two options, hold or sell. Meanwhile, institutional investors who don't need a Robin Hood like us on our phone, the little app, to execute trades, they were able to carry on. They were able to carry on and do their own business. The backlash, however, well, before I jump into the backlash, GameStop, y'all, lost more than 44% of their value on the same day, on Thursday after surging nearly 40% at one point earlier in that day. 
Now here's the backlash. And the backlash, it was swift. Those who'd been minting money on their game stock or GameStop stock positions were, to put it mildly, mildly, they were furious, okay? The consensus on social media seemed to be that Robinhood, that app that you can download, which built its brand on democratizing, you know, investing, it appeared to be caving into pressure from powerful institutions on Wall Street. With all that being said, Here's my version of the GameStop saga. In the story of Robin Hood, he often took money from rich to give to the poor. For years, the hedge funds or the rich have seeked to manipulate the little man by making the stocks go up and come back down. What the Reddit subgroup did was use their tactics against them. They bet for what the hedge funds betted against and in turn driving up the stock and causing the stock price of GameStop to rise over 11,000% over the course of two weeks. Now you let that settle. For those of you who are interested in learning more, I will encourage you to reach out to some folks who really understand this. But there's something to be said about the many apps that we have on our phones and the opportunities for those who may not understand the market to learn a little bit more and perhaps you could be like the young man who walked away with probably a lot of money. So nonetheless, I'd like to thank you for joining me, State Representative Brandon McGee, inside the room where we will always discuss leadership, politics, and culture but before we go, before we go, we know uh, that uh, this week we um, lost a, a very beautiful soul, uh, Mrs. Cicely Tyson. She was 96 years young. And I mean elegant and just, you know, in all of her glory. I think her last sort of major interview uh, was with Gail King. Um, and Gail King, you know, she's no stranger to the state of Connecticut, as a matter of fact. She started her show here uh, as a news anchor uh, right here in the city of Hartford, uh, Hartford, Connecticut. And uh, during her interview with Miss Tyson, uh, she had an opportunity to unpack sort of uh, Tyson's life, um, her contribution to so many uh, people, but specifically black women in arts and culture. And I remember my fond moment with Miss Tyson during my time in Montgomery, Alabama where I served as the pallbearer for her friend, Rosa Parks. And I could remember as if it were yesterday, Mrs. Tyson walking in front of the carriage that carried Mrs. Rosa Parks' body, as she would normally with her beautiful you know, ensemble. She had her gloves and her, her veil and sunglasses and, and she marched us on to the final resting place of Mrs. Parks. But while she did it, she told us the importance of holding our history high and never for a moment regretting what we've gone through, but celebrate, celebrate where we've come from. And so to you, Ms. Tyson, we salute you, we thank you for your contributions 
through so many decades, and you weren't only an actress, you were an activist. And we thank you. So again, until next time, I love you. And always know, you can always invite folks inside the room with your friend, State Representative Brandon McGee.